trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding and today I'm talking with Christopher Austin fellow activist, artist, and colleague. Christopher Austin graduated from Audubon University with a major in theater and received his master's degree in pastoral and professional counseling from Methodist Theological School. He has received rewards for his theatrical performances and completed his first feature film, Things Are Tough All Over, directed by local filmmaker, Chris Bornea. Christopher has worked in the field of counseling and social work for six years and has received recognition and awards for his work in the field. He is active in the Columbus community with the goal of helping people find their voice of empowerment through the arts, volunteering in religious and community outreach and social activism. In June, 2020, I interviewed Chris or Christopher on Grassroot Ohio. His petition to take down the Christopher Columbus statue in front of the Columbus City Hall was the straw that broke the camel's back after years of activists working to bring this symbol of trauma down. But I first got to know Chris from our other shared world, the arts. In November 2012, we were both in a theatrical production of To Kill a Mockingbird, directed by Mark Mann. Chris played the role of Tom Robbins, the man falsely accused and convicted of rape by a white woman. I played Miss Stephanie, the nosy neighbor of Atticus Finch, white, privileged, complicit, racist. In July, 2019, Chris was cast as the lead character in the movie, Things Are Tough All Over, an independent feature filmed by Chris Bornea. And I was cast as the school principal, this time an ally. Two months ago, Chris asked me if he could interview me for Grassroot Ohio. I was taken back, a bit flummoxed with everything else going on in our world, but I said yes to Chris, and so here we are. This is Christopher Austin's show, and I am now in the hot seat. Take it away, Chris. Is it hot yet? <laughs> Well, it'll get there. <laughs> I appreciate your words. I was just thinking back to 20, I think you said 2012 for To Kill the Mockingbird. Like mm -hmm. that was such an important show for me because I was actually in grad school for pastoral and professional counseling at the time. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to manage going to school full time and everything else going on in life and do this show. But uh, I stepped out and that was a return to the stage for me after many years of not having any art acting wise. And uh, I'm so glad that I took that opportunity and you were always very, very encouraging of me throughout that process. So I wanted to say, if I hadn't said thank you already, I want to make sure I do tell you thank you. Cause I do remember that you're always very encouraging of that. And it surprises me not a bit that here you are doing this work on the radio waves, on YouTube, getting your voice out there, lifting people up and encouraging people. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be able to interview you, because that's something that's always impressed me about you. There are, are a lot of issues going on today. There are always a lot of issues going on. And thank 
thank God, thank nature, thank yourself, thank whoever, that there are people like you that are calling these things out and working to do them. That is important. So that's not too hot, is it? That's not too hot sitting there, right? Nope, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I can handle a lot more heat. (laughs) I know you can. Um, So something I wanted to ask you was, because I think it's important for people to hear stories. Stories are inspiring, they're encouraging. And something I wanted to ask you was for other people that may be interested in the arts, and sometimes people get to a certain age and they think, oh, I'm too old, I'll never be able. No, 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 don't count yourself out just yet. But uh, I just wanted to hear, when did you begin your journey in the arts? When did that start for you? Um, I was around 29 years old. I was living in New York City. And um, I was just exploring. I moved to New York after I'd lived in Boston for a while and uh, was first working in publishing at St. Martin's Press in the art department, believe it or not. And um, I could barely pay my rent. It was, you know, barely. So I took a job for a little while. That was back in the 80s when mergers and acquisitions were like really hot. And I thought, well, maybe I should become an MBA, get an MBA. So I got a job at a British bank up in New York, um, along Central Park near the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I was taking economics thinking, okay, MBA and doing okay, but not loving it. And then I took a bus from my Upper West Side apartment down to my job. And I passed the, the museum of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And there was a shoot, a, a film shoot going on on the front steps of the museum, this huge film uh, shoot. And they were doing a, an episode from the TV show Fame, not the movie. Oh, wow. Movie. Yeah, the TV show. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I, was, I was just immediately drawn. And I got out of the bus, went up to someone with a walkie-talkie, and I said, you know, I would love to do what you're doing. How do I do this? So did, was, were you like, was that actually your stop? Yeah, it was very close to my stop. So you were just completely drawn like, oh my gosh, what is this? I got to know what's going on. You were just like a magnet pulled to it. Yeah, I was. Wow. And um, this um, young guy gave me, he says, our production houses are down um, in Chelsea area. And he gave me a phone number. He said, we're looking for help. So I called, I went down, met them, and I had secretarial experience. I was a great typist. And um, I got a job as a production assistant. Not as an actor, but just a production assistant. It was a huge Hollywood film, um, and it was shot on the Intrepid, that big um, um, boat on the river. You know, it's a it's a uh, military boat. Anyways, it was a wonderful experience, and people kept asking me if I was an actor because I guess a lot of actors, you know, work as production assistants and things like that. And I, I no. No, I'm too afraid mm-hmm. of that. But then uh, after that job, I got a couple other jobs as a production assistant. And um, I met Paul Sorvino, who is a, you know, really good yeah. TV actor and film yeah. actor. And Paul told me where he went to school in Manhattan. So you, wait, 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 you, you know, this is your life. So you can talk about it nonchalantly, you know. You got to meet and speak with Paul Sorvino. The yeah. great actor. Many people know him from Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, and and in other works, his daughter is a famous actress as well, mm-hmm. Mira Sorvino. And, and he's talking to you casually about where to go to school for acting. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I'm Carolyn Harding, just hanging out with Paul Sorvino. You know, there's no no big. I had to drive him in a van from Manhattan to his home in New Jersey, like uh, for a week. We were doing an after after school special, and uh, so I had to drive him. So I had a chance to talk with him. So he told me about the Meisner technique, which um, I then auditioned for. And after a while, and I was a newbie. I hadn't done high school theater. I was too afraid. Uh-huh. I was too shy to be a, um, a performer when I was younger. But for some reason, I got accepted into this program, a two-year professional wow. program, and uh, learned a whole lot. And yeah. it was so satisfying. Of course, I had to quit my other job. And then I took on a weekend job so I could pay for my schooling. Was I, that scary to make that decision? Not too much. I I have done a lot of different things in my life. In my 20s, I had tried a lot of things, um, moved around, tried different jobs. I was just exploring. Mm-hmm. And um, this one was a real like, yeah, this is this is good. So then I just committed to two years professional training of the Meisner technique and movement and vocal work. Right. And, um, and uh, then I finished up and started auditioning, started getting work, mm-hmm. not Broadway. I mm-hmm. would I, I needed just you know, some regional work and children's theater work. And um, yeah, that's how it got started. And I was older, you know, I was by this time 30. Most people think about actors starting, you know, very young, either as like children or teens. And they don't typically think about the 29 year old person just kind of being drawn to this because they see fame filming on the street (laughs) and saying, I got to know what they're doing. Uh, that that's an amazing story. Yeah. And then later on, when I moved back here, I, I, um, started my own production company and, and then I, when I, and I did a lot of like original theatrical improvisational stuff, but then when Mm -hmm. I had started having kids, I just taught improv for a while. So that's when I met a lot of older adults who really wanted to get started. And improv was a great way for people to get started. And now in Columbus, there are quite a few actors that got their start in their 40s, you know, in Mm their 50s, starting with improv and jumping into community theater. And I love it. It's never, you're never too, it's never too late. Never. That's amazing. No, no, it's not. And and I'm glad that you shared that because I, in in the field of counseling and social work, I run into people all the time who start counting themselves out after they get to a certain age. And I think that there's something very wrong with the society that we live in where people feel this pressure that they are not useful or they've lost their value or they can't be as productive or even go after their own personal dreams once they get to a certain age. And I think that's something that we definitely need to uh, work on and call out and change. You know, people have value no matter what our age, no matter what our background. And that's just such a cool story. And I'm glad that people in their 40s and 50s are finding out theater is for them. <laughs> and, and, and they're good at it. This is something that I bet they say, I wish I had done this a long time ago. And they have such a, a wealth of living and yeah. knowledge and, yeah. and depth. I, I just encourage playwrights to write more plays with more older people, because mm-hmm. you know those stories especially in community theater all over the country, there are people that want to work and older people that have raised their kids. Now they have time, you know, 
And so if to have really great stories about folks that have lived and are still living and wanting to do adventures and yeah. romance and everything else. So yeah, never too late. Mm-mm. Talking so about that, Christopher. Tell me about, tell talking you about, about that. never too late. Yeah. The film that you starred in with Chris Bornia, that, yeah. you know, that, that small part that I got was the first job I'd taken for a while too. And it got me back into wanting to act again. Cause I'd been really, I've been, I was kind of hardcore activism for about 10 years, just yeah. primarily on the Columbus Community Bill of Rights, working on protecting yeah. our water. Chris, are you back? Yeah, I had a, uh, I think a uh, digital meltdown on my end or something. It just went kablooey freeze. So, but <laughs> I I'm back. Knew it was time for a station ID. <laughs> so, okay, well, good. I'm glad that we took the took the uh took that i'm glad that that role got you back into it because i think that there is a huge intersection between art and activism there always has been so when did activism become a major role in your life um it did i mean i've always been very social justice conscious and i've always been a hardcore feminist but i'd say about 12 years ago i was needing more than just improv shtick and even theater at that point, I took a job as a um, just a volunteer at um, All Sides with Ann Fisher and started doing research for her shows. And she gave me the topic of fracking. And um, I was blown away when I started reading about it and learning about it. And so much so that I kind of just started focusing on it. Mm-hmm. And so that came from, you know, being um, supporting Ann Fisher in her show. I was just a volunteer and I wasn't there that long, but I got that huge gift of researching that project there while I was with her. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What, what drew you to volunteer uh, in this radio field with, with working with Anne? Well, I've always been an audio listener. I've always enjoyed the radio and listening to news. And um, so I had a, curiosity that maybe I might enjoy doing radio, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to find out. I wanted to help out. And one of the early producers of, and, and was um, Linda Taylor. And she was one of my improv students. So so Linda brought me on as a volunteer. And uh, so everything kind of is connected, Chris, you know, Mm -hmm. everything is connected. And, and Linda now is making documentary films and she's getting awards too. So that's exciting. Wow. Yeah, that is, you know, I, I really wanted to ask you this because I've wondered this because you, you've shared about growing up with this presidential figure in your family. And has that been a driving force for you in your activism? Has, has any of that, uh, that, that family connection with the White House and politics has any of that been something that has lit a fire in you to uh, change the course of this country and in your community? I'm sure it's always had some kind of influence, but my personal drive has been seeing an, a problem and feeling I need to do something to help. And when it came with the fracking, it was the water issue because water is so basic and so mm-hmm imperative for life. So when I saw this industry taking millions and billions of gallons of fresh water and then rendering it toxic and radioactive, and then it had to be disposed of in 
you know, injection wells, which are not infallible and they leak and they can migrate and get into water systems. So that was what it, that just, I don't know, water protection is integral to me. And the feminists, I grew up with a family of five daughters and religious family, but I realized that women needed to have choice. So I was always a feminist and um, reproductive choice um, advocate. So, but, but as far as um, being related to Warren G. Harding, that was often very uncomfortable and very um, embarrassing sometimes because like everybody grew up, he was always considered the worst president of the United States. So you might be kind of like, oh, I'm related to a president, but slam, you know, it's shameful at the same time. So um, this last fall, there was a big opening of the Harding Memorial um, Library. So I did a lot of reading and I really kind of got really clear. It's time to shed the shame that it's his story and it's not my story. And I do value the good things that he did bring to the table. And I do value the good things that he was as a person. However, I don't try to put slide anything under the rug or try to hide anything, any of the, the big blunders and um, failures that he might've had in his life and in his presidency. So it hasn't really helped me, but it still is part of who I am. And you can see, I can see how such a fallible human being could become the president of the United States. My activist work, I go to the state house. I've been going to the state house for quite a long time. And I see all kinds of individuals that are representatives or senators. You have some very um, deep thinking, very intelligent people. And then you have some folks that are just doing the best they can. And other folks that are just doing a lot of things that aren't so good for Ohioans. And I see how human they are and how fallible we all are. But Ohio needs some help right now, Christopher. I mean, it's really in the it's in the, the clasp of um, a mindset of very, very conservative um, right-wing folks. Yeah. And um, it's a little bit frightening for so many areas and so many issues in our state. You know, one of the uh, things that it angers me and it, and it makes me afraid is the stand your ground laws and that have, that have passed and the constitutional carry yeah. and these laws disproportionately affect people of color and women. And, and, and it's, it's frightening to me and it angers me because of this mindset that you're talking about, this grasp and this vice grip uh, against uh, people of this own, of, of our own state. This is, this is like a, a threat, an all out threat. Many people read it as a, a threat to their very lives, knowing that these laws are being passed that solely benefit the people that that pass the laws and in their constituents you know uh there is no listening to the to the to the people of color or oppressed uh peoples that will be negatively impacted by these laws their their, their voices when it's heard uh it's diminished or they check it off as well they are that's typical that's not a valid reason you know and and that's one of the major issues i'm i'm thinking of that's as you talk about these issues in Ohio, I've been thinking about how to address these things because it, it, it upsets me too. And, and I know it has to be all of us together raising a voice and, and making a big thunder 
about this for for this change to take place? What are some of the other issues that you're seeing in Ohio right now that we need to address? Of course, women's reproductive rights are being mm-hmm. taken away, and the education, public education. I'm I'm a firm believer in equal quality education for all Ohioan kids. And I am a very much not supportive of government providing funds for religious schools. So I, I'm a supporter of separation of church and state, very mm-hmm. much so. I was raised mm-hmm. religious, Christian. My husband's raised Jewish. We both are very kind of humanists. And we see, uh, we have friends that are Buddhist. We have friends that are Muslim. We have friends that are atheists. And uh, Ohio is such a, a beautiful rainbow of beliefs and, um, and this, this adherence to a Judeo-Christian mindset is, I, I don't think, healthy for all of Ohio. And um, so education, public education is really important. I really support Medicare for all, making sure there's a single payer, excellent insurance for all. That would help people go do jobs they want to do rather than jobs they do because they have to get insurance. You know, Mm -hmm. it would prevent people from becoming bankrupt because they have medical issues. So Medicare for all, I would push so hard for, I would support public education, reproductive rights, the people that I have interviewed. I mean, Esther Flores working with um, trafficked women and women that, um, that have no support in our community. Then um, folks, folks that are working with the homeless, you know, I just believe that we, this wealthy state and country should be able to take care of our most vulnerable people and um, mental health that's mm. included with the, with the um, Medicare for all. Absolutely. So that's super important to me. And then it's agriculture, Christopher, mm-hmm. agriculture. We have, we are, spreading so many pesticides and herbicides on our food that it's coming back into our our food our bodies and our health and i think there's a, a far better way if we we um transition to a more regenerative kind of agriculture system and, and agriculture is a number one industry in ohio so mm. and then and then you know mm. intel this big um computer chip company huge yeah 20 billion to this area well what about all this water they're going to be using? What's happening with that water? And, you know, although we are blessed with a lot of water right now, the fracking industry has been putting toxic radioactive waste into our watersheds. I mean, this stuff is happening because of jobs or because of money, because of big oil and gas. Yeah. So um, those are my big ones. But then I, but mass incarceration. Yeah. Oh, all these human beings that are being kept out of our out of the out of living when they could could be many of them and most of them could be retrained and brought back into society so yeah um i know we're running low on time so i wanted to ask you to tell us very quickly about another area where art meets activism and you're being in and and acting in the Laramie Project. Oh, okay. Yes. The Laramie Project opens up February 4 at Curtain Players, which is in Galena, Ohio. It's a small little, used to be a church in the middle of a a field. 
And it's this sweet community theater that's been going for 60 years. I knew about the Laramie Project because my son was born in 1997. This happened in 1998 when Matthew Shepard was killed. So it was very, very potent. I remember it profoundly. And um, this theater company from New York, the Tectonic Theater Company, took several trips, six trips to Laramie within the, la- the year and a half after this um, Matthew Shepard's death. And they interviewed over 200 people in the community, people that were directly related either, and people who were just on the outskirts. And they took these interviews and they were writers and they created a collage of what was happening and why it happened in Laramie, Wyoming. And Matthew Shepard was a, a young, very small gay man that um, was outspoken and he went to a, a local bar and, and he was um, kidnapped or, or he was getting a ride with two local young men who ended up severely beating him, tying him to a buck fence and leaving him basically to die. And he was found, but then he never recovered and he, he passed away. It was a hate crime combined with all kinds of other things. But he was a young gay man and he, you know, the, the perpetrator said that he hit on them. And so the story kind of has the point of view of, of the family members, the per- actual perpetrators, the community members. And, I, and each actor, there's eight of us, each of us have at least six or seven different characters we're portraying. It's a real ensemble piece. And it's amazing. And our um, young director is um, Damon, and he is doing a great job. And um, it's a long show, and it's powerful. And well, I have family, we all have family that are in the LGBTQI community. And um, I just think that raising awareness for tolerance and for love of all kinds of love. I chose to do this show because Christopher, I can't, I choose shows because if they have something for me to say, I mean, I'm not the kind of actor that needs to act all the time. I, in fact, I, yeah, I, I can relate to that personally too. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. Oh, our time is almost time. Do you have any, one more quick question or shall we wrap? One more question. Any plans to run for office? You know, I just did a show on women leading Ohio for women who want to run for the first time. And yes, I am thinking about it, Chris. I am thinking about it. I am so glad to hear that. Are you? I'm thinking about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) I did complete uh, a Lead Ohio uh, progressive campaign leadership class last year. So it was was great. So, yeah, I'm, I'm seriously looking at it. All right, Chris. Well, we're out of time, so I've got to wrap up our show. Thank you for this time with you. Yeah, and thank you. I hope we can have a part two. There's so many issues there to still bring out. Okay, you got a deal. All right, sounds good. Thank you. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRS-FM at 4 o'clock in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. 
You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back. Come down, come down.